0: All right, well, hey, good morning, Calvary Church. Uh, wow, look at that. It is great to see you guys. We're glad you're here. Uh, man, we as a team are excited about today because it's been a great summer, we've enjoyed it, but we're excited to get back working, partnering with you, serving you, uh, kicking off ministries for you, whether you're single, whether you're a family, just just pressing into trying to be a body right of disciples that personally and collectively reach and impact other people with God's love and truth. And so we have a lot of things we're excited about in the fall to help us all do that. Uh, It's great to see everybody. And if this is your first time here and you're just figuring out if Calvary is the place for you, uh, I know it's tight, right? I even saw people starting to walk towards the dreaded front row. We're studying Revelation, and what you'll see in the book of Revelation is like the front row is one of the plagues and curses, you know? Uh, But my point in saying that nonsense is I know there's not a ton of extra seats, right? And if you're visiting or figuring out this is a church for you, what we don't want you to do is to walk in here and say, man, there's no place for me to sit. Uh, I I don't have a spot. That is not the truth. We are committed to making sure that there is space for you and space for a bunch more people that we're excited about coming. And so in the coming weeks and months, right? we're watching whether we break back into two services, we're watching the trajectory of some things, we're going to have some overflow seating, and so if folks do come uh, at a certain little bit late, we're going to always have space. So uh, glad you guys came out today, and we're excited about what's in store uh, today and throughout this fall. Afterwards, you'll have noticed some things covered up over there. Those are not like ancient Israelite relics that we're covering. Those are actually donuts. Because after this, we're going to have a family meeting. Um, And it's a great chance just to rally together as a body. And to share with you some of the things that we are excited about in the fall and share with you ways that we want to serve you, ways that you can serve, give some more information about two local partnerships where we're really trying to reach and impact people with God's love and truth, and um, share some information about maybe redesigning some of our space uh, in this campus to try to push our vision a little better. And so there's going to be lots of good information, and man, a great chance to connect. So when this service is done, We invite you to grab some donuts, grab some coffee, and come back and stick around for another 45 minutes to an hour or so, and and let us just share with you what we feel God's doing and, most importantly, how you can be part of that. Uh, Part of what we want to do this fall as we help us all grow as disciples is if we have your contact information in your inbox right now, there's a gift from Calvary Church. It is not a free Chick-fil-A sandwich but it's something ultimately even more better. We've sent you a link. Uh, There's this amazing resource called Right Now Media. And we really are pressing into, what does it mean to grow as a disciple? And we want to help all of us do that. And so we've sent you a resource that contains some streaming video content. And you're going to hear a lot more about this at the family meeting. Um, But it's a great opportunity for you to have some programming, uh, Christian-focused programming for your kids. That's on par with stuff Pixar is putting out. And it's a great opportunity for you if you hear some things at church, you're like, man, I want to know more about that, to go on. And there's some devotionals, there's uh, seminars, there's sermon series, there's other... Uh, lots of great resources to help you grow as a disciple. So when you click on your inbox, you will see that there. And if you stick around for the family meeting, um, there'll be lots more information about that. And what we're trying to do together as a church and what we're going to be doing in Revelation is so important in this time and in this culture because there's just a lot of chaos surrounding us. And there's a lot of hurt, and there's a lot of dysfunction, and there's a lot of lonely people, and anxious people, and scared people, and some of those people are us. And so to think about how does a body rally around each other, how does a body share God's love and truth, what what does that mean? This is significant and timely things that we're thinking about. It's significant and timely to think about what does it mean to be a people who give hope, because today is September 11th. And it may be a day that you don't even necessarily think about because you're rushing to get in your minivan to come here, but there's a whole lot of families in our country that it's a day they still think a lot about. Um, and the sense of loss changes over time, but the sense of loss and that emptiness never goes away over time. And so for some friends today, some people today there, processing through that loss. And so what I'm going to do is as we pray about what God has for us in His Word, I'm just going to give a moment or two for you to pray silently for God's peace to surround people who are still processing that loss and that grief, and then I'll pray for it, and then we'll press into what God has for us today. Father, one of the things that you Promise us is that you are a God who is close to the brokenhearted. And you, is a, you are a God who gives grace to people. And so we think today, Father, that uh, this date on the calendar for so many <clears throat> in our country, and particularly this region, this tri state area, and our towns and our neighborhoods, it's a day that uh, lands with a particular heaviness. And so, God, we know you're a God of compassion, you're a God of grace, you're a God of steadfast love, and we just pray that for those who know you and are processing through that, that your spirit will surround them with peace, and we know you're a God who gives grace to people even who don't yet know you, and so we pray for your common grace and kindness to all who are processing today and the memories of it. We're thankful that we're people who loss doesn't have to be the end of the story, but we know that there's more to the story than that. And I'm grateful, God, for the chance to explore a book, a letter that talks to us about what our hope is. And I pray that in my own heart and the hearts of all of us, Father, this next few months and maybe even year will be a time that we can worship you better through what's revealed. That our hope will grow deeper. That we'll have some understanding, um, and we will really grow in our love and our affection and our confidence. In you. Help us this morning, Father, as we press into what you have. And may Jesus, the risen King and the Exalted King, be honored through our time this morning. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. <clears throat> well, today is the day, right? Today is the day that I've been talking about for a long time. Today is the day that we kick off a brand new sermon series, and we're kicking off a sermon series in the book of Revelation. If you're trying to figure out Calvary Church, here's one of the things we do. We open up a book of the Bible, and we work through that Bible, essentially paragraph through paragraph, and we see what God has for us. And so today, we're going to start our journey together in the book of Revelation, right? Like I always say, we're not doing it because I think the world is ending, although it might be, but we're doing it because it's a book of the Bible that we need to understand, and it's good for us. We've done a lot of practical series where there's been comfort, and there's been real-life applications throughout the summer and last spring. And this is a chance for us to just, man, get that big old New York strip steak from Licio's. that's meaty and hefty, put you a little kosher salt on it, and we're gonna dig in to uh, a book and chew through the book of Revelation. All right, that sounded weird, but you know know what I'm trying to convey, right? And for some of you, you may be like, dude, I don't even know what you're talking about, right? Some of you may have never heard of the book of Revelation. And then for others of you, and I probably do think there's other view. There ain't, there's, that's the only book in the entire Bible you ever study, right? You, you kind of go through a Bible study on the book of Revelation. And you're like, man, I just finished me up a Bible study on the book of Revelation. What should I do? I know. How about the book of Revelation? And you study it again. And then you're like, oh, then you study it again. Then you try to throw us a curveball. And you're like, you know, I really have studied Revelation a lot in the end times. I don't think I'm going to do that. I think I'm going to study Daniel, <laughs> right? You try to... You try to cheat. Some of you are obsessed with the book of Revelation. Some of you know nothing about the book of Revelation. And Revelation is one of those interesting books where it does have this unique place both in Christian culture and even contemporary culture, right? Revelation has this unique thing that's a little different than other books where there is this fascination with it. Uh, oftentimes among Christians of a certain ilk, and a fascination even in our contemporary culture. I've been through different decades. Uh, I know it's hard for you to believe. Some of you are like, dude, you're only like 27. You've only been through. That's true. I've been through a few more decades than being 27. And I just want to walk you through my interactions, kind of my story in the book of Revelation. Uh, the thing I love about Calvary Church, and I mean this, this is a blessing. There are probably some people here or watching today who you don't know what you think about Jesus, and you come because you're trying to figure it out, and we are so grateful that that's your story. There are other people here who is like my story, right? Like I popped out of the womb into an evangelical culture. Uh, I breathed that air deep, and throughout that, I had this book of revelation in many ways. it was. Some, now, I've done surveys on some of this. Some of you, when I've bounced this off people of my generation, you're like, bro, I don't know what you're talking about. Others of you do. But let me just tell you my experiences. I remember being a little kid and I I think I recall going to this, well, I know I went to this little church in South Norwalk in the 70s and 80s. um, And this was the day when you couldn't get on your phone and stream right now media. This was the day when there was something called a movie projector. Anybody remember a movie projector? It was this big monstrosity of a machine, and you took these things called movie reels, and you needed like a PhD in engineering to figure out how that stupid thing worked. But you'd take it, you'd wind it through, and I remember it was a dark and stormy night in South Norwalk. And I went to this little church that smelled like mildew, amazing people. And in the 70s, I remember a movie, and the trailer, the promo, the poster piece of that movie looked like this, A Thief in the night. Anybody remember A Thief in the Night? Okay, this is not like, this is not like a uh, sword drill where we're trying to show who's the best Christian, okay? I'm just trying to figure out if I'm hallucinating all this. The Thief in the Night. I was young. It scared me to death, okay? I mean, it's I, like, I couldn't play Dungeons and Dragons, but I could go to some creepy church movie with some people chopping people's heads off. I was very perplexed growing up, um, Now, maybe you haven't heard this movie, but if you were to watch the trailer, which I did, I am 50 years old. The trailer of this movie last week scared me to death. I had to go into like the old sanctuary and start praying and try to find some holy water or something, right? But if you watch the trailer, the amazing theme song of this movie was a song by originally a dude named Larry Norman called, I wish we'd all been ready. I almost played it for you. Equally scary and creepy, no offense if it's your favorite song. If you want to play it played at your funeral, I'm sorry I'm a bad pastor and mocked it, but it's a little creepy. For some reason, it's not the only time we've heard the song because uh, this dude Larry Norman put it out in 1969. It was covered by a group called DC Talk in 2000. I guess we wanted some more <laughs> weird songs put out. <clears throat> then I remember. When I would go to different Christians' houses, we'd go for dinner in the 70s or 80s. In that era, if you looked on the bookshelf above the fireplace, you would see a book that looked like this. The late, great Planet Earth by a guy named Hal Lindsey. Why do there have to be flames? (laughs) I'm noticing... I'm noticing a little scary motif being woven through this thing. This was a test to see whether you were a Christian. I'm just telling you, right? You, you go to houses with people and they'd be, you get in the car and they'd be like, oh, they must not be Christians. They didn't have the late, great planet Earth on their bookshelf, right? Then, uh, that was great, right? Kind of came out in the late, in the, when did it come out? It came out sometime in the 70s 80s. Then, some of you may remember this book. Ready? Some of you bought that book. Some of you didn't listen to good pastors who were telling you, y'all are crazy. Some of you packed a suitcase in 1988. And you were wrong, right? The rapture. But this booklet swept through certain facets of evangelical Christianity in 1987, 1988, because some dude who's some NASA scientist, even though Jesus said nobody knows the hour of the day, I guess this guy thought Jesus was wrong. And he thought he knew the hour of the day, but he was wrong. And if you bought into this, y'all were wrong. It's okay. I've been wrong once in my life. I know what it feels like, right? It's not that much fun. But then, then then, Christianity is like, okay, this is all really scary, but it makes a lot of money. Let's do something else, right? Cause we, and so then, now y'all are going to know this, right? If you haven't had the late great planet Earth with the flames, you've had the next big book that came out. Some of you have bought every series. What was it? Come on. Boom. Left behind. Hmm. Okay. That was not just one book. There were two. Right? It's like Jaws. The books just keep on coming. You can't, right? Left behind. But huge, right? Oh, wait. You're too early. That's okay. The book wasn't good enough. So our friend from Growing Pains. (laughs) I know. Some of you are leaving the church. You're like, Kirk Cameron is the best Christian. I hate Peter. He probably actually is a better Christian than I am. But he was on Growing Pains. That was a fact. But then he's like starring in this movie of Left Behind, right? Again, I know it's kind of funny, but, but in a meaningful way, each of these things has had a huge impact both on some of us as Christians and on people who aren't Christians because it, is, it has created interest. It has created fear. It has created intrigue about this. It continues because they did a remake. I don't know if you knew this. I didn't really remember this, but our friend, Nicolas Cage... Was in the re- no, it's true. It was in the remake, right? Left Behind, right? The remake, and Nick Cage was in the past person of uh, that Kirk Cameron character. There is a fascination throughout the decades with the book of Revelation. There is an intrigue in Christian culture. There is an intrigue in contemporary culture. Demi Moore, Seventh Sign right? All about the book of Revelation. If we go to the Trumbull Mall and we say 666, everybody there is going to know that's something creepy, right? What what is it? And some of you this morning are, are, I'm glad, so excited about studying the book of Revelation. And if you are, and this isn't a criticism, right? I'm not going to, but I really would be interested in like, I'm so encouraged that so many of you said, I can't wait for Revelation. I can't wait for Revelation. I can't wait for Revelation. And the question, and I'm not going to ask now, but it would be intriguing to know why. What is it, if you're one of those people who are excited about the book of Revelation, to study, what is it that's grabbing you about that? Why is it that maybe some of you have been watching church online through the summer and you're like, man, I think I'll get back in person for the book of Revelation. What fascinates you? What do you hope that when this thing is done, whenever it's done, it may, this study may be done when we're all in heaven with Jesus, I don't, but whenever this study is done, what do you hope that you will have gotten from it? Well, today... We're going to start our journey exploring the book of Revelation together. We're we're going to be in this series for a long, long time, Uh, but the good thing about a book like this is there's so many different facets to it that it won't feel like the same type of literature all the way along, and each week there's going to be something that I hope God uses to encourage you and challenge you. And this morning, we're going to talk about introductory items, right? Usually when I kick off a series, I use the example of a syllabus. I won't, but today is syllabus day. And Here's why it's important that we do this. When you go on a car trip, the first turn that you make—if you make the wrong turn—if you start going on the trip in the wrong direction—you're going to head out. You're going to end up probably in a place that you weren't intending to go. On any car trip. The first turn that you make, the way that you begin that journey, the way that you begin that trip is so important in making sure that you properly and efficiently get to the destination where you're trying to go. And so today we need to make sure that as we're starting out on the first leg of our journey of the book of Revelation, that we go in the right direction because what we understand today about the context, about the background, about the setting, is going to shape what we talk about in several months. And if we start off in the wrong way and don't get a core foundation of some of these background things, then we're going to end up in the wrong place, at the wrong destination, and and we don't want to end up there. I challenged some of us last week um, to bring a journal, right, to take some notes of this. We're going to try to be purposeful in the bulletin. There's an app you can use, Calvary app, those kinds of things. I was so excited because one of you so excitedly showed me your brand-new journal that you have for today. I'm a little nervous because it's the same person who's doing the PowerPoint slides. (laughs) So don't get so busy writing that you forget a slide, okay? But man, great way for you to take notes. Here's what we're going to think about today. Why study the book? We're going to think about who wrote it. We're going to think about when was it written? What is the structure and the flow of the book? And how do we understand and interpret it? Why study the book? Who wrote it? When was it written? What is the structure and the flow of the book, and how do we understand and interpret the book? So the first thing we're going to think about, right, first thing at the top of the list, why study the book? Lots of reasons why to study the book, but I'm just going to call out five, okay? Five reasons why I think it's meaningful and helpful for you and I to study this book this morning together. Here's the fourth one, ready? This book has a way for you. Wherever you are in your story this morning, whatever is going on in your life this morning, it has a way for you to be blessed. It has a way for you to receive blessings, to grow in a way where you feel the favor of God and the understanding of God. There's two verses. This is concept is sprinkled throughout the book of Revelation. But chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it for the time is near. It's repeated at the end of the book, right? And behold, I am coming soon, Jesus says, blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. In the very first chapter of the book, in the very last chapter of the book, what Jesus is saying is, hey, I'm going to tell you all a bunch of things. And I'm going to tell you some things, but listen to me. If you grab onto these, if you live according to these, if you listen to them, if you align your life in accordance with them, you will be blessed. It will be better for you to pay attention to them than if you do not pay attention to them. Second reason why I think it's meaningful to study this book is because Revelation helps us more deeply understand the Christian hope, Revelation helps us more deeply understand the Christian hope. I've shared with you a few years ago about this um, <clears throat> characteristic that my mother has. My mom's an avid reader, uh, and you know, if she's a couple of chapters into a book and it starts getting a little stressful, uh, if there's like a little drama, you know what she does? She flips to the end of the book to see how it ends. <laughs> She does. And she she can't handle the drama. She can't handle the tension. She can't handle the unknowns, right, the uncertainties. And so she flips to the end of the book to make sure the book has a good ending. And if the book has a good ending, then what she does is she's willing to persevere through the hard parts of the book because she knows at the end it's all going to be okay. Okay. The hope that you get from knowing the end of some fiction book ends well is nothing compared to the hope that this book will and can give every single one of us about the fact that the story ends well. Because every single one of us, at different ways and different days, we face unknowns, we face uncertainties, we face dramas, we face moments when the plot changes and curveballs come. And we can get caught up in it, and it's hard to see through it. But what the story keeps reminding us is there is a happy ending. There is a good ending. This book of Revelation was used yesterday and mentioned yesterday at the funeral of the young mom who was kidnapped and murdered in Memphis, Tennessee, and yesterday in memphis tennessee at second presbyterian church a pastor got in front of a group of people who were processing an incredibly tragic thing that makes no sense that's horrific that's somebody's worst nightmare that phew, how can it happen with all sorts of questions about okay if there's a god seriously this young lady who followed God seriously into that group of people in the funeral talk, he shared how he and Eliza's mother had wept that week, and then this is what he said. We would studied Revelation in our church together, and I taught the congregation over and over. No matter what we don't understand about Revelation, we understand this, Jesus wins. The book of Revelation was used to comfort people and give hope who are facing probably the deepest darkness they'll go through to remind them of the refrain that when all is said and done, Jesus wins. This story has a great ending. And for those of you whose story right now, it's a not a good place. Hey, keep coming back. Because every week what you will hear is this reminder, this refrain, that Jesus wins. It gives Hope, third reason, for context and content for deeper worship. It gives content and context for deeper worship. This book reveals some of the most amazing truths about the Father. There's truths in this book that are only found in Revelation about who God is and what he's like in his majesty and power. This book, right, most of your understanding about Jesus comes from the Gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. That's what you understand Jesus. But this book adds layers to the Son <clears throat> and the risen King and the King who's ruling and the King who is in charge and the King who's not to be messed with and the King who says, hey, I got it. I got it. And we're going to hear these truths and these deep realities about the Father and about the Son that if we listen to them, it will put us in our place and it will make us come to a place where you say, man, I just want to worship. I just want to worship. I just want to proclaim the goodness of that person and who he is and what he's done. at the end of Revelation... What the book of Revelation is, it's a series of visions that an author <clears throat> has been given. At the end of the book of Revelation, what we read is, is ju- the person who wrote it. I don't want to be a spoiler alert. The person who wrote it, what the angel is getting, he's like, I want to bow down and worship the angel because of all the things I've heard about God. At the end of Revelation, I, name deleted for the moment, and the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel <clears throat> who showed them to me. But he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book, worship God. Worship God. We worship so many other things in life. I am so distracted by so many stupid, trivial, worthless, meaningless, empty, passing things that when I'm dead won't amount to a hill of beans. And I spend hours of my life worshiping those things. And I hope that throughout this series... I'll do a much better job worshiping God. Worshiping God. It gives context and content for deeper worship. It calls us to holiness, fourth thing. And then the fifth thing, and this is what we're going to start to unpack in the coming weeks, It will help us more deeply know God's desire and expectations for us as a church in this particular cultural moment. It will help us more deeply know God's desire and expectations for us as a church in this particular cultural moment. And by us as a church, I don't mean like the 501c3 organization. I mean, Us as a group of people sitting in blue chairs who God has us in a sphere of influence. He has us in a job. He has us in neighborhoods. He has us in relationships. And there are ways that he wants us individually and collectively as people to act. And the church today in America is so screwed up. A poll this week, 42% of pastors are like, I'm out of here. 42% of pastors in America in churches just like this are like, dude, I'm done. And they're done because for them the past few years and then coming out the first few years have just shown immense dysfunction in churches. I'm grateful for the way that we as a church, I've said it a lot, have navigated things that could have broken us. And that has a lot to do with you and your hearts and your kindness and your commitment to do things the way God wants. But man, Christians today, what? I mean, I'm being careful what I even say because I know that if I say the wrong thing in the wrong way, you guys are going to make assumptions about me politically, and then 50% of you are going to be mad about me. In fact, the other 50% are going to be mad about me because you don't even think I did it hard enough, right? So, like, if I say I have a folded piece of paper here, 50% of you are going to be like, oh, you like this person, oh, I don't like you. And the other 50% are going to be like, yes, you like this person, but I'm mad at you. because you didn't." It It is a crazy time in Christianity. And the enemy, if he can get us fighting about what bumper sticker is on your car, he's won. And we're in a moment where we serve a risen king who is the shepherd and the leader of the bride of Christ of the church. And in the next several weeks up until Christmas, we're going to have an opportunity to study seven different churches that messed up except for one. And we're going to have time to look at ourselves and say, man, we want to be a church that pleases Jesus. What does that look like for us? It'll help us more deeply know God's desire and expectations for us in a church, in a cultural moment. So who wrote it? Y'all already know because I already spoiled it, it. Here's the first question we're going to think about. Who wrote the book of Revelation? Well, the, the verse I read and some other texts do give us some help but not total help. Okay, so Verse 1, chapter 1 um, of the book of Revelation. The first thing that's written, says this. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants, the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angels to his servant John. Right? His servant John. So, we know that a dude named John wrote the book of Revelation. <clears throat> What's not necessarily known Because sometimes what writers will do will be like, Servant John, who was a leader at the church of blah, 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 or who was a disciple, but John never gives us any qualifying things about who he was. So there's two different thoughts about who this John might be, okay? Two different ideas about who he was. Some people think that this John was a pastor, an elder at a local church in Ephesus, one view is that he was a pastor leader of the local church in Ephesus. Another view is that he was the Apostle John. We've worked through series on 1 John, 2nd John, 3rd John, the Gospel of John, right? Was the same guy who wrote that who followed Jesus, some people write that. It was most likely that the writer Can I say something? Can I drop a footnote? If your expectation of this series is that I'm going to tell you with certainty this is absolutely the one thing it is, ooh, you're going to be disappointed. <laughs> Okay, now, there are some things we can know with absolute certainty. We can know with absolute certainty that Jesus wins and he is coming back because the text tells us that. There's a lot of things we're not going to be know with certainty. Some of you are going to need to process that and deal with that. See, some of the reason that we're, some of us are so obsessed with our relation is because we want to have the right answer and the only answer, and boom. If that's what you're waiting for... Get some free coffee, but go somewhere else because that's not what's going to happen, right? Because there's going to be a lot of things where we say, most likely, could be, right? But we may not know with certainty. It is most likely there's reasonable evidence to think that John, the apostle of Jesus, wrote this book. The reason that seems most likely is because there's a group of guys who are known as church fathers. What the church fathers are, I throw that term around, but let's make sure we understand it. They were the disciples, And then after Jesus left, these disciples started to have people they mentored, right? And then those mentors started to have people they mentored. And then it got to a place where then these mentors of the disciples or the mentors of the mentors of the disciples were leading all sorts of churches in the region. And that group of people, especially some big name people, were what we call the church fathers. Well, that group of people would write down things about books of the Bible and they wrote that the apostle John wrote the book of the Bible, And there's another fact that we read that helps give that context because later on John tells us something else in verse 9, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on an island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. So what the writer is saying is, hey, by the way, I was hanging out. I wrote this writer, this letter on the island of Patmos. What the church fathers also tell us is not only was John the writer, they also tell us that the apostle, the apostle John was the writer. They also tell us that the apostle John was exiled to the island of Patmos. When you start layering all that up, it seems the apostle John wrote it. While I was studying in August for the book of Revelation, I wanted to go. To the island of Patmos. I did not want to go in exile. John was on that island because of his faith in Jesus, and the Roman governor's like, "Bro, get out! Of it. We don't want you. We're gonna go put you on house arrest on this island where you're excluded, so you can't talk about Jesus." He, here's some pictures about Patmos. Look, oh, <clears throat> I bet there's some good fish in there. I bet I could put on my copper tone and get me a nice golden tan. This is the island of. Patmos. The island of Patmos is in the Aegean Sea between Greece and Turkey. It is about 60 miles off the shore of present-day Turkey. At the time, there was a city of Ephesus around here. It was off the shore of that. And it was essentially, at the time, a deserted island where prisoners were sent. And John The the, the church fathers, church history tells us the apostle John was sent there in exile. The writer says he was sent there in exile. It seems to all link up. If you were to visit it today, you would see a monastery up here. This monastery is, right, a monastery to John. Different people say this is exactly where he wrote the letter. Who knows? But it's interesting. But the writer of the book, we think, are pretty sure it was the apostle John, wrote the book on the island of Patmos. Next question is, and this is an important one. I know some of you are going to be like, oh, snooze fest. No, it's not. I don't think. Next question is, we know who wrote it. When was it written? Now, this is what happens in our house sometimes. My wife and I will have the most important conversation of the day. And it's not, how can I encourage you? It's not, babe, how can I pray for you? You know what the most important conversation of the day is? Hey, what's for dinner? Ahem. <clears throat> And sometimes in our house, when we're having the most important conversation today, this is the way that it works. We're like, what's for dinner? I don't know. What's in the fridge? What's in the pantry? So you go to what's in the fridge in your pantry, and you're like, oh, you go to the Oh, you're like, oh, we have an onion. Maybe we should do spaghetti. Do you want to do spaghetti? And and there's this this dialogue, right? The decision is made based upon, okay, we got an onion. Do you want spaghetti? I don't know if I want spaghetti, but maybe I want steak. Do we have any steak? Let me go see if we have steak. And you kind walk those two paths, and when you figure out what's in the fridge and what you feel like, they come together to reach a conclusion. Now, that's kind of what it is about the date of the book of Revelation, because here's why. What you all want to know is how in the world, when you start talking about the beasts, do we understand that? What you all want to know is the book of Revelation mentions locusts. Are those Apache helicopters, right? That is what you want to know, and you're like, just tell me that, and then I'm going to go to another church for the rest of the time, Right? The way we interpret the book of Revelation depends in part upon when the book of Revelation was written. If we have an onion, maybe we make spaghetti. If we feel like steak, do we have a steak, right? So so we got to figure out when the book is written because when the book is written will help us determine whether one view of interpretation is correct or not, okay? So this really isn't just like, It's not like I went to seminary and you were taught every time you start a series, talk about the date it was written. I'm not just doing this because I'm doing this because we will interpret the book the wrong way if we don't know when the book was written, okay? So does anybody here want to interpret the book the right way? Okay, great, two of you. (laughs) That means the other, like, what, 327 are hoping we do it the wrong way. So let's make sure we know when the book was written, okay? Two main views about when the book was written. Here we go. Some people say the book was written, it's called the early date, between 54 to 68, and that was when a dude named Nero was the governor of Rome. Other people say that there was a late date to the writing of Revelation, between 81 to 96 AD, and that's when a dude named Domitian was the governor of Rome. So we have this early date possibility and this late date possibility. I know the question you're asking. You're asking, Peter, those are amazing boxes. Thank you. I did them myself. I'm very proud of them. But now you're asking yourself, how do we figure out which one is right? Okay, ready? We're going to go to like a little Bible scholar, investigative Indiana Jones moment. There are two things that Bible scholars look at to figure out the dates of letters one is external evidence. One is internal evidence, not internal organs. One is external evidence. The other is internal evidence. Does anybody have any idea um, what external evidence might mean? Yes, you're absolutely right. External evidence, right? It's this idea where you say what outside of the text helps us date it, okay? Internal evidence is when you actually read the words, do the words give any clues to dating? So... External evidence is evidence that is not in the book. Internal evidence is evidence that is in the book. Okay, So one thing that's a big thing of external evidence that helps us date the book goes back to those church fathers. The same church fathers who said that John wrote the book, the same church fathers who said that John was exiled to the island of Patmos are the same church fathers who tell us when he was exiled to the island of Patmos. And what church historians who were mentored either right by the disciples or mentored by the mentor of the disciples, tell us uh, that he was exiled during the reign of Domitian. Domitian, remember, was this box, a late date. I promise you, this is really important because we're going to end up having the wrong meal for dinner if we don't get the date right. So church fathers, church history, external evidence says that John was hanging out on Patmos during the reign of Domitian. The author of the book says he was hanging out on Patmos. The author of the book says he was John. Ooh, I like bacon. Pigs like dirt. I don't know. I got confused on the logical thing there. But so it seems to all make sense. Then internal evidence is when you actually look at the text, okay? And here's a few things. It comes out from the seven churches, because there are seven historical churches that we're going to study starting in two weeks. And there's a description about one church, the Church of Laodicea, that had so much money. Well, back in the 60s, that church was poor. In the 90s, man, that church was loaded. There's another church called the Church of Smyrna. The Church of Smyrna wasn't probably in existence in the 60s. So it'd be kind of weird to be talking about a church that wasn't even in existence, which all pushes to a late date. The late date is important because in about 10 minutes, we're going to see why that rules out one viable means of interpreting the book. So most commentators think that it was written during the reign of Domitian. They also look at the persecution that we're going to talk about in the book, and they track in history when does what is written in the book seem to line up historically with the persecution going on, and that also shifts us to a late date. So It is most likely, seems strong, that uh, the book was written during the reign of Domitian, right? Late date, which would be somewhere 81 to 96, okay? So in a minute, we're going to talk about why the date is important to the book of Revelation, but let's figure out where we're going. Let's think about a road trip again. I was talking to somebody about this last week. People who have not lived as many generations as I have lived— you have missed out. When I was a kid learning direct, here, here's what happens now, right? We ask our kids to go to like ShopRite to pick up some whatever for dinner because we're short something. And so, you know what they do when they don't know? They, they get out their phone and they're like, ShopRite. Now, I like ways. But I've done a survey, and apparently the younger generation is really into Apple Maps. But that's okay. But all the people who are learning to drive this day, when they want to know where to go, they just put it in the phone. That is not what happened when you were part of the best generation that ever lived in the 80s. When you were part of the best generation that ever lived in the 80s, I can remember when I was first learning to drive. And I'm like, Dad, you know, I was doing, I gotta go to, I was doing EMS, blah, blah. I'm like, man, i got to go down here. And get it. You know what he would do? He would, like, write things down. He would say, go left out of the driveway. You will come to a house made of stone, turn right. Don't stop at the golf station. Go to the mobile station and take another left. And you're like, okay. You would have landmarks that would let you know where you were in the drive. And ain't nobody got no landmarks anymore. It's just some voice from Australia talking to you through your iPhone, right? But back in the day. We had landmarks, and so what you knew is when you got not to the golf station, but the mobile station, you're like, okay, I'm almost to where I'm going to go. We're going to make sure, I'm going to give you some directions to the book of Revelation. I'm going to tell you as we're driving on this journey together, what we're going to see, where we're going to go, okay? This is two minutes of the entire book of Revelation. Are you ready? On your marks, get sets, go, right? Here's one of the most important verses as we think about this. Revelation one nineteen. Revelation 1.19, this is what it says. Write therefore the things that you have seen, those that are, and those that are to take place after this. What the Father through the spiritual messengers are telling the author of the book is I want you to write down three things. I want you to write some down some things that you've seen. I want you to write down some things that are happening right now. In this moment, in your culture, John, I want you to write down some things that are, and then I'm going to share with you some information about things that will take place after this. That gives you the structure of the book of Revelation, okay? We're going to next week get into some things that he has seen. There's going to be two or three other times. Then, after seeing the things that he's seen, we're going to talk about the things that in his culture were things that are. Those are the conditions of the churches and what they're doing poorly and what they need. And then there's all this conversation about things that will take place. So here, we can pop up this timeline real quick. We'll figure out how to get you in this in some context. But this is, this is the road trip, right? This is where we're going. These are your mile markers. These are the gas stations and hospitals and lefts and rights. It begins with a prologue. Then next week, we're going to see this vision of the exalted Jesus. Amazing, amazing realities about Jesus. Then after that, in chapters 2 through 3 are going to be letters to those seven churches that we talked about. Then there's going to be the vision of the worship of God, more amazing truths about the Father in heaven and who he is. Then we get into the part that everybody thinks about when they come to Revelation. Then we get into chapter 6 through 16, 21. There are seals, there are trumpets, there are bowls, there are all sorts of, wow, weird things going on. Amidst these chapters there are these moments when the author's going to be like, oh, by the way, this also happened. Oh, by the way, this also happened. And there's some intervening events that are destru- dis- d- described. Then chapter 17 through 19 is this destruction of Babylon. Then we see this heavenly warrior's victory, and we're going we're to understand what is all this, okay? This is how we have to know how to interpret things. And then we wrap up the book with this amazing thing, a thousand-year kingdom. We'll talk about what is that. And then hope. Hope. Hope, chapters twenty one through twenty two eight. Uh, I've laid out the map for you, and then here's the question. Okay, so now how how do we understand that? How do we interpret that? Here, can you go back one slide if you don't mind? <clears throat> when we get to this, there's three different groups of seven, and there's there's fire, there's locusts, there's demons down here. There's dudes who die who come back to life. There's there's mark of the beast. Okay. What? This is the bulk of Revelation that we need to. How do we know what that means? How do we know what that means? Four views on how to interpret it, okay? Four main views, and this is where the date is going to come back. Here's the four different views on how to interpret the book of Revelation. I am going to tell you which one I think that we will be using. Well, I don't think I know we're going to be using it. First one is the idealist view. Again, I made this, isn't it great? Wow, if you work for like Nike and you need me to do your graphic designs, just just ping me later, okay? The idealist view is like, you know what? All that stuff about trumpets and bowls and 666, they'll say it's not prophetic. That it merely describes different principles about good versus evil. It is just this big confusing book that says there is good and there is evil and those things fight and these are metaphors or analogies about it I don't think that that is the proper approach. I could be wrong. God did not necessarily tell us. I don't think it's the proper, because there's clearly, he says in the book, this is prophecy. Okay, so he says it's prophetic, which means it's talking about things to come. So I don't really like this. Historicist is the second view. Last night, or the other day as I was driving, I'm like, man, I should have smoothed these out a little bit. Sorry. This is what what this means that John wrote the letter most likely 81 to 96 A.D. Here's you and me, 2022. What these people say is that these prophecies describe events that occurred between the time of writing to us now. Okay? There's the events here. There's events here. There's 666, a beast. There's seven seals, seven trumpets. And what this view says is you got to look back over history to the time of John and See which events fulfill these. So like there's World War II, there's Hitler, there's this, this, that, and, and you look back from the time of writing to now about what fulfilled it. I don't think that's the proper approach. I could be wrong because there are clearly things that are described in the book. In my opinion, this world has not yet been recreated, Okay. There are events that it seems like a big stretch to try to say when something happened. So there seems to be some events that are beyond what has happened historically that are yet to come. Okay, So then I don't think that's legit, but that is one. Okay, Now we get to the two most popular, and you can flip the next one. The two most popular views are Preterist and what we'll talk about in a minute. This one, until I really pressed into the date, was pretty compelling for me. Okay, Um, what this one says is that this one depends upon that early date. Okay, and it says that John wrote this in 54, 68 AD, that there are few things that he wrote about that are yet to happen. But what he writes, most of everything that was written when you talk about trumpets and you talk about seals and you talk about bowls and you talk about beasts and you talk about 666 was all fulfilled during the reign of Nero when he persecuted Christians. It's actually really, really interesting. And there's a book called Four Views on the Book of Revelation. I can get you the the information. And there is a lot of stuff that Nero did to Christians that happened to churches. There were a lot of earthquakes. There were eclipses. There were different weird things in that culture that are like, dude, that actually seems to line up with what was predicted. There is this complicated algorithm which is not... uh, too bizarre, because there was a practice in Roman culture and other cultures that you would assign numbers to people's names. Okay, I, I don't. It, but when you do some of that math, you know who's number six six six? Boom. Okay. But there's flaws to that now. But here's the biggest problem: if the book was written after 81 and 96 A.D., that was after Nero had already done those things. So it would be describing things that were still yet to come. It wouldn't be written here describing. So I think the late date of the book. Wipes this out, but I could be wrong. I don't think I'm wrong, but I could be wrong. People who believe in this, man, they, they will be in heaven with us, okay? But it's interesting. But I think written here, if it's written here, it can't be going back to Nero because it's talking about what to come, so it must be looking forward. And so what's the fourth v- view that we're going to use during this? The fourth view that we're going to use is this, this futurist view, it sees the events predicted, and we're going to start a little later. We're going to start like chapters five or six as descriptions of what are going to happen in the future at the end of and the recreation of the world. So here's John getting a suntan on the island of Patmos. Here's you and I today. And the, th- mo- the things that John are talking about are things that prophesied events that are yet to come, have not yet happened. Things that will happen at the end of this earth's story and recreation, okay? Now, I do think that there are some things that maybe some of kind of, there's an already not yet fulfillment, okay? So to some degree already, some of the descriptions did happen to the early church, but it's not yet a final one, okay? Now, this is the one that if you've ever studied the book of Revelation, you've probably landed in here maybe. Uh, That was so specific, right? Probably landed here maybe. Man, that is good lawyer talk right there. 385 bucks right there per hour for that, okay? Um, But this, this is where all sorts of words that some Christians know way too well and other Christians are like, pre-trib, post-trib, a-trib, mid-trib, your mama's trip, right? a mill pre mill post mill all of that is rapture. All of that is in here, and we're gonna talk about all that in the months to come, okay? But we're gonna take a historist view, I mean, a futurist view Does it describe good and evil? Yes, it does, but it largely seems to land here. So that's the perspective that we're going to take. And we're going to kick off the content of the book of Revelation starting next week. So let me ask the worship team to come up here. We've covered a lot, right? But man, we've gotten out of the driveway and we're headed in the right direction. We're headed down the right road. We've talked about what we can get from the book We've talked about who wrote the book, when it was written. We've talked about the structure of the book. We've talked about how we should understand and interpret the structure of the book, which links us back to the date of the book. So I'm going to give you some homework, and then I'm going to end with some thoughts. Here's your homework. Next week, we're going to be in Revelation uh, chapter 1. And what I would love for you to do, read Revelation chapter 1 in the next six days. In the next six days, read Revelation chapter 1. There are 20 verses in the book. If you read a verse, two seconds, a book, that's fine. I can't do the math. It's not going to take you long. Seriously. What I, one of the most encouraging things for me yesterday, I told these guys this. Um, man, I, I, I kind of have a cheat sheet. I know what the worship set was going to be. So, man, I had those things blasting as I was driving past Sikorsky, up through Orton Oak, up in Stroud. I was blasting the worship set in my car. Just me, and my dog, at Jesus. I was singing. My dog wasn't. Um, and, and I came prepared because I knew and I was familiar with it. I, you're going to get much more out of the study of Revelation if you come prepared. And if you want to get something out of the study of Revelation, then I'm going to challenge you to come prepared. You can come prepared by giving up four minutes of your time. Well, it's going to be longer than that. Read chapter 1. Read chapter 1, and then I want you to make two observations about Jesus. Two observations that are meaningful to you about Jesus. And then we'll work through those together. I'm going to ask you, if you don't mind, if everybody would stand. And this morning, as we think about this book of Revelation that was Discussed to people yesterday at a funeral of a young lady. um, Man, the pain, the loss. The book of Revelation was put into context to give hope. To give the ability to put one foot in front of the other and to take another step rooted on something solid, even when everything seems to be falling apart around you. I do not know of anybody in this room or online who has suffered the type of loss that was suffered in the city of Memphis over the past several days, but I do know people in this room who are certainly facing struggles and loss and questions and worry and anxiety and depression and loneliness and emptiness lack of self-worth because of something that happened at school this week or because of something that didn't happen at school this week or because of something on social media and it's a hard world guys it's a hard world but amidst the hardness of the world what we keep coming back to is we know how the story ends and Jesus wins Jesus wins let me read these words to you holy Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and is is to come. Words out of the book of Revelation we'll study together. Worthy of you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and they were created The dwelling place of God is now with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And on that day, in that moment, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death, death shall be no more neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away and he who was seated on the throne said behold I am making all things new and also he said write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And after hearing all of the hope that will come when the very next time the king of kings comes to earth, what John did at the conclusion of this is this. He who testifies to these things, these are John responding in response to all this says, right? Jesus who has said this says, surely I'm coming soon. And then John writes these words, amen. Come, Lord Jesus, come. In the Aramaic, which means Maranatha. Maranatha come Lord Jesus come and he will and we're going to learn more about that in our weeks and months ahead together and I sure hope you stick around because it's going to be good let's worship together